team is doing a great job trying to come up with a, a new concept. They're calling them Ladies Escapes, and the first one is just a couple weeks away on February 2. Uh, you can learn all kinds of good things about cupcake decorating, candy making, and chatting. And on behalf of the husbands that are out there, wives, get to church on February 2nd. We're very excited about that. FCC is offering a baptism class for students in grades 1 through 5. Ivy Quartz is going to be leading that class. We're going to be using this curriculum, God, Should I Be Baptized? It's a four-week class. We do have to have parental permission for the students to go through this class. I've been asked by a couple parents that said, my child was recently baptized, and I still want them to go through this class. We would love to have them come. And if you need information sheets and sign-up sheets, you can get them from myself or Karen Rice or Peggy, the office, the Welcome Center. We would love to get your children, your grandchildren plugged into that class. That starts February 17, and we'll meet during the Bible school hour. Ladies' Night Out is this Thursday, 6.30 p.m. Laura Reimer speaking. Shades of Blonde is singing. Sign up for prom has begun. How many went to prom last year, the first year that we had that out at Little Galilee? Our goal is to have 50 couples. It's going to be an awesome time, really a great celebration of marriage, and it is going to be in April. You can sign up beginning today in the foyer. And then finally, Adam highlighted that we have selected a date for the junior high mission trip. It will be in July. Info packs are available in the Welcome Center. On January 13, 1984, I was a freshman in high school, and in a lot of ways the world was a very different place, but on that date, then-President Ronald Reagan made a proclamation that I think is one of the most important proclamations that any president has ever made. He designated that every third Sunday in January should be known as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And for many years since that time, not every year, but for many years, there has been an official presidential proclamation on the third Sunday of January reminding us of how precious life is, how special life is. I'd like to show you a video right now. Every life matters. One of my favorite parachurch organizations in central Illinois is the New Life Pregnancy Center in Decatur, Illinois. They do a phenomenal work uh, on the front lines of um, young women in crisis in many ways. And Anne-Marie Hubble is our liaison with the New Life Pregnancy Center, and I've asked her to come and speak this morning. Two minutes. I don't want you doing the whole 25 minutes. Okay, all right. I'm just kidding. I know. I'm just playing. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to remind you, um, in case you haven't noticed, we do have um, a crib set up in the back there, and I've got baby bottles in the crib, like this one. Um, If you would just take a baby bottle home and take out the little uh, sheet of paper that's in there, fill it out with your name and address and stuff, and then you could put your pocket change in there. 
and um, put the baby bottle somewhere where it will remind you to pray for mothers and fathers and their unborn children. Not only are they just praying that they make the right choices, um, but for their salvation as well. The Pregnancy Center offers Bible studies. They have counseling sessions. They have a, a store that they give out diapers. And it's just a, a remarkable, remarkable center. So if you do that for us, we would appreciate it. We're going to collect these bottles till March 17th. Um, in the future, when you get those filled, bring them back in, drop them off at the information desk, and then I'll periodically be taking them down there. Um, if you have any questions, there was a flyer in your bulletin, and I didn't look to see if there was a, there is a phone number. So feel free to call them for anything, and we just thank you for your participation. Okay, I got it. That's good. I got it. It's all good. Penny Weaver is the executive director of the New Life Pregnancy Center, and I look forward to hosting her here at Clinton on a Sunday morning. Sometime this year, I want you to hear more about the great work that the New Life Pregnancy Center is doing. Um, it's an issue that's near and dear to my heart. I've already written my K article for next week. That never happens, by the way, but I did write extensively about this issue and shared a really cool illustration, and I hope that you will check that out. We are in week two of a nine-week journey through the Gospel of John, looking specifically at the I Am statements of Jesus. And if you were with us last week, you got a taste of all of the I Am statements Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the vine you are the branches. And what's really cool about the Gospel of John compared with Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the Gospel of John gives us, I think, a real inside look at the heart of Jesus. It was written by the disciple that Jesus loved, John, obviously, and we see a Jesus in the Gospel of John that is presented different in many ways than the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Same Jesus, don't get me wrong, but it's a different biography. It's a different look. It's a different gospel. And what we're going to be doing in this nine-week study that we're going through is we are going to be looking at the I Am statements. There's some rich, rich truth to grasp and to grab a hold of. But more than that, we're going to read large chunks of Scripture. We're going to read miracles that some of you have heard a hundred times, and we're going to look at accounts and, and doctrine that maybe you've never connected with before. And if you want this sermon series to really be special, if you want this sermon series to stretch you like maybe most sermon series do not, you've got a homework assignment. And that is be in the Gospel of John. Spend time on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and throughout the week pouring into the Gospel of John. I shared with you last week that if you read just three chapters a day, you can read the Gospel of John in a week. If one chapter a day is all you have in you, you'll read the Gospel of John in three weeks. So with that, I want to dive in today and I want to start at the beginning of John chapter 6 with an account that most people have heard of. So let's read together the Word of the Lord, John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick, Jesus the miracle worker. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Very, very important time in the, the Jewish calendar. Verse 5. When Jesus looked up 
and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, and he sounds kind of panicky as he answers here, eight months' wages would not be enough bread for each one to have a bite. Translation, there's a whole bunch of people, we don't have any money, and they are hungry. Another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they'd had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. I love that. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Leftovers. For those of you that don't like leftovers, this is a biblical account of leftovers. Verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. That's the word of the Lord, John 6, verses 1 through 15. And here we see Jesus meeting their physical need. And let's be honest, we we have physical needs. I have physical needs, you have physical needs, and some of you right now, your stomach's starting to, to remind you that it's almost lunchtime. It's starting to remind you that you're hoping it's not a 60-minute sermon, that it's only a 25-minute sermon so you can beat the Methodists and the Presbyterians to the restaurant. We, we have physical needs. This was really illustrated well for me six and a half years ago. It was June of 2006, and it was actually like the week that I had first started talking to this church about coming to to serve as minister of preaching and teaching. And I went on a fishing trip with some of my very best friends in this world to Canada And one of the things that was unique about this year was that my best friend Eric Ewald and myself decided that we were not just going to be content with the fishing that we normally experience on Mattawa Lake and Chicago Lake. We were going to backpack in to a remote lake, and we were going to fish on a lake that probably, we estimate, gets fished maybe four or five times a year at most. It was a great plan. And, And Eric helped me find what's called a backpack pontoon boat. You may say, what's that? It's 50 pounds in a backpack that if you know what you're doing, I don't, he did, you can turn this backpack into a pontoon boat. And so we made plans that on Thursday of our fishing trip, we would set out very early in the morning. The sun comes up about 4.45 in Canada in the summertime, and we set out not long after that for the adventure of a lifetime, and we had everything we needed. We had our boat, and we had our backpack pontoons, and we had a lunch was packed, a lot of food in that cooler, and we set out for the time of our life. And we estimated that the hike into this remote lake would be a difficult hike, but we could do it in about 90 minutes. And so we arrived at the place about 6.45 where we would leave our boat and our motor and start backpacking in. And it turned out that it took a little bit longer than 90 miles to make it in because the hike was treacherous at best. We were up and we were down. We were in the creek. We were out of the creek. We were climbing over hills. And before long, finally, finally, 
finally, almost 9 o'clock, we see the lake, and it's beautiful, and it's pristine, and we went to work right away to put our backpack pontoon boats together, and within a half hour, we were on Bing Lake in northwest Ontario, and we were catching fish like I've never caught fish in my life. It was crazy. The pike, I mean, they were unbelievable. The smallmouth bass, every other cast, every third cast was a fish. And 9 o'clock turned into 10 o'clock, turned into 12 o'clock, turned into 1 o'clock. And about 2 o'clock, Eric looked over at me and he said, I'm really hungry. And I said, I'm really hungry too. I'm glad we brought a lunch. And then it hit us. The cooler with all of our food was back in the boat that we had left a two-hour walk away. And we decided at that point we got two options. We quit fishing on the greatest day of fishing that we've ever experienced, and we go get the food, or we just deal with it and keep on fishing. And being the the studly men that we thought we were, we kept fishing. And the fishing was phenomenal. And finally, late, late afternoon, early evening, we decided it's time to uh, compact our pontoon backpack boat into the backpack and start the long hike home. That afternoon turning into evening, the hike back was much more treacherous than the morning hike for a variety of reasons. For one, it started to rain. Secondly, we were famished. I was famished in a way I'd never been famished before. That day was the hardest physical day that I've ever experienced, which just goes to show you I've had a pretty good life in many ways. When we finally made it to that boat about 8.30 at night, we dove in to the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And let me just tell you, PB&J has never tasted as good as it did that night. I, I was as hungry as I had ever been. And I scarfed down the sandwich. I'm eating applesauce. I mean, if there was coconut there, I would have eaten coconut. If there was mayonnaise there, I would have eaten mayonnaise. I mean, um, hunger I'd never experienced before. And as I finally was satisfied... As the hunger pains was finally uh, relieved and satisfied, I was reminded what a difference bread can make, what a difference food can make. I was physically hungry, and I finally had that hunger filled. Jesus uses this great miracle in the first part of John chapter 6 to remind his people, yes, you were physically hungry and I fed you, but what about your spiritual hunger? And he's going to talk more about that a little later. John chapter 6 also records a second miracle. And again, if you've been in the church or around the church, you've probably heard this account as well. Let's read on together. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Verse 18, A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. How many of you have been on a boat away from land when a strong wind started blowing. I know some of you have. That's not a lot of fun, is it? That's not enjoyable, is it? It's not at all. It's just downright scary at times. And verse 19 tells us that when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they are a long way from shore. They're halfway to Kenny by this point. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. Let me read that again because I think some of you missed what I just read. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. Terrified. They were afraid. They were scared to death. But he said to them, it's I. Don't be afraid. 
And they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd realized that they had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake and that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that he'd gone away alone. Then some of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. Jesus met their physical need with the feeding of the 5,000. Here Jesus meets their emotional need. They're scared to death emotionally. Have you ever been afraid emotionally? Every hand probably ought to go up because if we're really being honest, at some point in our life, we've been afraid. Now, maybe we didn't show it like the disciples showed it. Maybe we didn't express it like the disciples expressed it. But it's just part of life to be afraid at times. Four years before my fishing adventure in 2006, I had a, another fishing adventure in Canada. And I, I had someone tell me after first service, man, you're going to have people scared to death to go fishing in Canada. Stop scaring the people. In 2002, we were on a, a similar fishing trip. And this time, uh, a, a different scenario, we were on Mattawa Lake, the lake that we usually fish on. And this time, we were about a one-hour boat ride from our cabin when we fell into the best walleye fishing I've ever experienced. And if you want to catch walleye in Canada, you've got to go early. You've got to go mid-May, uh, late May. We were almost late June by the time this took place, but something clicked, and we found ourselves in a remote location called Sock Bay, and we found a school of walleye, and I've never experienced it before. I talked about the fishing day in 2006 all day long, every other cast, every third cast. For this two-hour period of time this evening, it was every cast you're getting a walleye. I mean, we catch walleye, and we decide, is that big enough to keep or not, and you throw it back. We never do that because they're so hard to come by this time in the summer. And this fishing was incredible, and 7 o'clock turned into 8 o'clock, and 8 o'clock turned into 9 o'clock, and all of a sudden I noticed that, that, that off... In the east, the sun, for whatever reason, was starting to set. And I thought to myself, it's only 7 o'clock at night. And I realized, no, it's closer to 9.15. So we hurried up and fished for another 15 minutes and then decided we need to start heading for home. And the skies became darker and darker. And I thought, man, it's getting dark quick in Canada. And we realized it's not just night. It's not just evening that's setting in. There's a storm that's a-brewing. 15 minutes into our 60-minute boat ride home, we could see nothing except when the lightning bolts would strike. Then you could see something. And before long, we were being hammered by wind and rain. And I have to confess to you today, I was really afraid. My friend Eric Ewald's driving the boat, and he starts asking me questions like this. If our boat, our aluminum boat, gets hit by lightning, will the rubber on our boots save us? Do you think we can swim to shore with boots on, or should we take our boots off? You just told me I needed the rubber on the boots. What are you doing to me? And it's at that point for the first time in my life, I really thought I might not get out of this. I might be one of those stories that you read about in the paper, and you read it, and you go, what an idiot. Why would he be out in a storm like that? I might be that guy. I was afraid. I was scared. And I started to pray, and I started to just hope that the Lord would spare my sorry, ridiculous self for putting myself in such a predicament. 
Well, the one-hour ride home turned into about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. Just couldn't go very fast. And I'll cut to the chase because I know some of you are ready for me to cut to the chase. I came around the curve, and I could see the, the light on our cabin. And I knew I was home. I knew I was going to be safe. I knew I was going to see my daughter Jordan and my son Peyton again. I knew I was going to get a hug from my wife again. And I will tell you, I wondered on that boat ride, is this it? I was as scared as I think I've ever been. And finally seeing the security of the cabin and the light of the lantern, I felt safe. Jesus, in this great miracle that he performs, walking on the water, getting his disciples safely to shore, he reminds them that, yes, I met your emotional need, but when you're spiritually afraid, I'll care for you as well. Now, most people, when they study John chapter 6, they just stop right there. They close their Bible at verse 24, and that's all she wrote. But there is so much more that we need to grab a hold of. So let's read on together. Verse 25, it says, When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? There's a lot of people in 2013 asking that question. What do I have to do? What's my God to-do list? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30, so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Several things jump out at me as Jesus begins this teaching in verse 25. And number one is this, Jesus reminds us the eternal is more important than the temporary. The eternal is more important than the temporary. And the problem is, we're temporary people, aren't we? We're here and now people, aren't we? We know about heaven. We know about the hope. We know about the hope that we live for. But we can't help ourselves but focus on the temporary. We can't help but focus on our health. We can't help but focus on the bills that pile up. We can't help but focus about the struggles that maybe a family member, a child, a parent, whatever it may be, is going through. We're temporary kind of people. And Jesus says here, the eternal is more important than the temporary. Verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. I went to a funeral this week for one of my best friend's father. And as the preacher wrapped it up, he shared what I think is just a very helpful scripture when trying to wrestle with this concept. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What's seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Jesus says the eternal is more important than the temporary. Secondly, Jesus says a focus on faith is desired over a passion for pious works. Look at verse 29. It says the work of God is this. This is what you are to do, to believe in the one who, has sent, who he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. 
We're to-do lists kind of people. And Jesus says it's all about belief. Should we do good works? Should we do acts of service? You better believe we should. If you're involved in community service, if you're involved in, in, in Christian service, praise the Lord, that's awesome. But don't think for a second that by doing good works, you're earning your salvation. Here Jesus says, faith is what matters most. Faith is the big deal. And then finally, third, third thing I want you to see here in this section Jesus teaches that he himself is greater than the law of Moses. Jesus says, I am greater than the law of Moses. Now, we're on the other side of history. We know how the Jesus story ends, at least on the face of the earth. We know about his ministry and his death by crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. So we read that and and we have no problem with that. I bet there's not a person here that, that would argue with that statement. If you're a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian, that might offend you. But if you're a Christ follower, you look at that and you say, well, of course. Do you understand that what Jesus shares here in John chapter 6 would be considered blasphemy by many that he shared it with? Many people that were deeply, deeply committed to the law, they would see that as blasphemy. What do you mean? You're greater than the law. What do you mean you're greater than Moses? I mean, to them, Moses was up there with Abraham and David and Elijah. He was on their Hall of Fame list. And Jesus says, I'm greater than the law of Moses. Look at verses 32 and 33. I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And it's at this point that I believe John 6 just kind of explodes into the point of the entire chapter when Jesus says in verse 35 simply, I am the bread of life. He's fed the 5,000, taking care of their physical need. He's walked on water and taking care of his big baby disciples and he's met their emotional need. He shared with them several, what I would call teaching points. He might not call them teaching points, but truths. Faith is what matters. I'm greater than the law of Moses. The eternal is more important than the temporary. And he says, I am the bread of life. That's the point. That's the teaching that Jesus tries to drive home. Let me read for you just six more verses of Scripture. We'll call it a day, and we'll go fill our physical need at lunchtime. Verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. As we conclude this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus... If Jesus is Lord of your life, you have to connect with four things that Jesus says here in these six verses of Scripture. And number one, he tells you, follower of Jesus, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Now, if you don't eat lunch today, you will hunger again. 
if you go for a five-mile run and, and you don't hydrate yourself properly and you don't take some Gatorade, you're going to be really thirsty at about mile three and a half, more than likely. But Jesus isn't talking here about a physical hunger or a physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. And he says, if you follow after me, you'll never be spiritually hungry. You'll never be spiritually thirsty again. Verse 35, he who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Secondly, follower of Jesus, Christ follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll never be driven away. You'll never be sent packing. You'll never be told there's no room for you on the bus. You'll never be told move on down the highway. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. We're yesterday and today kind of people, and this is a promise for tomorrow. Jesus says, come to me, be in me, abide in me, and you will never be driven away. There's a worship song. It's not one of the greatest worship songs ever written. I I don't think we even sing it around here, quite honestly. But I love the the concept behind it. It's by Vicki Beeching, simply entitled, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. And when I can't stop thinking about yesterday or when I'm fretting about today, I need to be reminded of forever. Jesus says you'll never be driven away. Follower of Jesus, Christ follower, the third truth to grab a hold of here is that you're called to do the will of your Father in heaven. It's Jesus that's setting us the example right here. Verse 38, he says, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Later on in the life of Jesus, after his death and burial and resurrection, before his ascension, Matthew records for us this incredible, incredible promise that you are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's sharing God's will for you, the Christ follower, to go, to make disciples, to make a difference. You remember when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, that that awful time that he was going through in the garden? And you remember the prayer that he prayed? He said, Lord, take this cup from me. What he was saying is, God, I don't want to die a death by crucifixion. And that proves that Jesus was fully human. Because you wouldn't want to die that death. And I wouldn't want to die that death. But he didn't stop his prayer right there. He didn't say, take this cup from me. What did he say? He said, take this cup from me, but not my will but your will be done. And let me just challenge you, wherever you're at on the faith scale, on the faith barometer, maybe, just maybe, you will grow in faith if for the next week, for the next month, or for just an extended period of time, when you wake up in the morning, you simply pray the short prayer, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And then start trying to find God's will. Start looking for God's will for your life. Followers of Jesus will do the will of the Father in heaven. And then finally, promise, hope, followers of Jesus will have a future hope in heaven. Followers of Jesus will have a future hope in heaven. Jesus says in verses 39 and 40, This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, 
but raise them up at that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at that last day. The hope of heaven early in ministry, early in ministry, long before it's time for a public recognition of who He is, Jesus is pointing to that future hope. And that's a future hope that if you're a Christ follower, you will experience as well. Bottom line this morning, what's the bottom line? Here it is. Jesus himself is the life source for those who follow him. I talked earlier about the Sermon on the Mountain and how it is the will of the Father that we be about the business of going and making disciples. But most of the time we focus on, on words in Matthew 28 like go and make disciples and baptize and teach. And those are good words. They're rich words. But many times we just kind of breeze through how chapter 28 of Matthew ends. Jesus says, surely I am with you always. Always to the very end of the age. That means when you're on the mountaintop, life is as good as good can be. The Illini, they're winning basketball games and your kids are behaving and life is good. He's with you. And when you're down in the valley and life just stinks, maybe there's a different word that you want to use instead of stinks. We've been there. We know what the storms of life are like. Matthew 28, he's with you. He's with you in the valley. That's a promise that we can never have reinforced enough in our lives. Jesus Christ, I am the bread of life. Jesus, the life source for those who follow him. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And I thank you for this gospel that John wrote. I thank you for the look that that we're able to, to receive into Jesus, your son, fully God, fully man, perfect in every way that we're able to connect with, uh, with the passion that he has, the passion that he had to help hurting people, to make sure hungry people are fed, to make sure scared people are, are calm, to make sure that lost people can have the hope of heaven. And so today, as a follower of Jesus, I say amen, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. It is commitment time here at First Christian Church. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus, I've used terms all morning like follower of Christ, Christ follower, Christian, disciple. If, If that's not where you're at, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, we invite you to come forward. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a Christian. And I know the public thing is a challenge for some. So if you're not going to come down during the song, I want to just invite you to grab me afterwards or to call me at the office this week. I'd love to spend some time talking with you about what, what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We talked about the storms of life, and I know some of us, man, we are right there in the storm of life today. Life's tough. And if you're in need of prayer, I'd love to pray for you. Adam Brucker, our, our associate minister, would love to pray with you as well as we stand and Ethan leads us in our song of commitment.
and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Amen. Hey, I want to say thank you to Ethan where Samuel at. Samuel and Samuel for stepping in, pinch hitting for us this morning. Give those guys a hand. Great job leading. Thank you very much. I referenced earlier about the newsletter, the K. I'm assuming that you all received the K. If you're not getting the K, it's a weekly publication. We'd love to give it to you. If you're a computer person, it's on our website by noon every Tuesday. But last week I wrote about several needs that we still have in the way of ministry. And I just want to invite you, if you feel led and if you feel like it's something you're gifted in, we'd love to get you plugged in. Don't forget tonight... We have our regularly scheduled uh, youth activities reveal. There is no junior high volleyball, I believe. Is that correct? No junior high volleyball, but reveal at 530, high school volleyball. And with that, I'm going to close our service with a word of prayer. Let's pray.